If you're listening to this, it's safe to say you're closer than most to the natural gas industry. You know the role natural gas plays in fueling homes and businesses and how crucial companies like Spire are in keeping customers connected, especially when the thermometer is below 32. But what you may not know is the work done to make sure the gas we deliver is always there. Planning and preparation are everything. So how does Spire do it? We'll talk about it today on the Beyond the Boots podcast. Hello, I'm your host, Jason Merrill, and we really appreciate you pressing play and spending some time with us. Our topic today is gas supply. How does natural gas move out of the ground to a customer's home? And specifically for Spire, what do we do to make sure our customers stay connected? This work really came to light back in February. While a polar vortex impacted so many across the Midwest, our planning and preparation made a difference to the communities we serve. And we'll talk about that coming up, but first we have our values moment. It's our opportunity to highlight values of safety, inclusion, and integrity. And as we focus on integrity today, we want to drop some numbers on you. 981 and 7,542. So that's 981 employees spending 7,542 hours wearing their Orange Spire Serve shirts to volunteer in the community. And thank you to everyone who did everything from clearing brush to fixing roofs over the past few weeks. Well, one of these projects is so special. Eric Schmidt, he's the Attorney General of Missouri, he picked up the phone to thank a couple of our volunteers and send them a donor's award recognizing them for giving back to the community. And a little bit of background here, since 2014, our next guests have given backpacks and supplies to 36 schools, averaging about 1,000 backpacks a year. And this year they expanded their reach, supplying three schools in Mo West with Spire water bottles, wipes, and hand sanitizers for another 3,000 students. Here to tell us more are the people who've made all this happen. Employee Engagement Specialist Rex Thompson and Berkeley Office Manager Melody Allen. Rex and Melody, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. So tell me a a bit about yourselves. How long have you been at Spire? And and there's more to the Rex and Melody story than just (laughs) um, being acquaintances from Inspire, correct? Yes, there is. I don't know who wants to start here, but uh, how did you two first meet? Me and Mel actually grew up in the exact same neighborhood, exactly on the same street in the city. And so uh, she stayed at one end of the block. I stayed at the other end of the block. And uh, we didn't really know each other. Uh, I was somewhat friends with one of her brothers. And uh, we went to the same school and everything. And so later on in life, uh, you know, we became adults and moved away. And I hadn't seen her in years. I started working for LaCleet Gas, we were at the time, and uh, maybe a few years after that, I was in one region, Mel was in another region, and I transferred to that region, taking a bid on the job, and uh, there she was, and then we remembered each other from uh, way back in the day from kids. So So when we're saying we're advancing every community through the strength of our energy, we're bringing people (laughs) together. (laughs) Right. Mm-hmm. Brought us back together from our childhood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so how long have you each been at Spire? 
I've been here, it'll be 37 years, December the 10th of this year. And wow. so I guess that will put me at 38. Mm-hmm, 30, okay. yeah. Wow. Well, with all of those years of experience, you have uh, led an effort in Missouri to help kids across the state. Talk a bit about that, because it really embodies what we're doing with Day for Good. Yeah, well, we started in, uh, when was it, Mel? 2014? Yeah, 2014, correct. In 2014, we started, uh, at the time, uh, I was uh, working out of North Region also, and uh, Chris Silius Mm -hmm. was the director of operations of North Region at that time. Mm -hmm. And he actually came up with the idea and brought me and Mel in as his uh, two partners to put it together. And so we started in 2014 with uh, what we call the backpack uh, giveaway program. And we connected with uh, Kate Stewart, I think it Mm -hmm. was from the Board of Education, and she was our go-to person. So she helped us pick four schools in the area that our guys worked in that she felt really needed a lot more help and uh, kids could, you know, use the assistance. So me and Mel got together and started doing what we do. And so mm-hmm. Mel takes care of the part of uh, contacting um, Kate Stewart. She, I will reach out to her and then she will get with the different principals of the schools and the, and the principals will email us with how many students they will need at each school. And with, with that total, we were looking at about what, anywhere from the 800 to 900 something students. Yeah, yeah we first mm-hmm. started out. And I remember Chris Celia said, let's just order about 1,000 backpacks. That way we have enough backpacks. So he had me to order those, and he wanted to fill them with supplies, which included, like, glue sticks, Crayolas, pencils, what was it, two pocket folders, mm-hmm. and a notebook, eraser, and a ruler. So we would fill the backpacks with that and give out to the students. So um, how grateful is it when you see – you know, the, the looks on the kids' faces when they're they're getting the backpack and they're set with uh, with stuff that they may not, order, uh, you know, otherwise be able to get. Exactly. Yeah, yeah they were very excited. Yeah, it, was, it was something new for them. Yeah, it was it was pretty priceless. And then how we set it up, we would take at least about anywhere from 10 to. Uh, I, this, we could say about 12 to 15. 12 to 15. 12 to 15 of our field workers mm-hmm. with us. And so we would set up tables and chairs and they would bring classroom in at a time. And each one of our field workers would uh, present each kid with their own backpack, write mm-hmm. their name in it with a marker, and then take all the items out and show them what they had. So mm-hmm. the kids would really be excited. And our guys were probably just as excited as the kids were. Mm-hmm. It was a good way for them to interact with one another. Well, it was so successful. Um, you, you got some special recognition. And, and Rex, you know, when you when you get a call and they say, hey, this is the attorney general's office, some people might sweat that. And think, oh, my God, what have I done? But, but in this case, um, you got a call from the attorney general, right? Yes, I awesome. did. And I was like, OK, why is the attorney general calling me? And then he went on to say that he had uh, looked into and saw how long we had been doing the backpack program and wanted to uh, present us with uh, an award for you know, our community help. And we thank Eric Schmidt, the attorney general of Missouri for that. And Melody, Rex, thank you for all you do. We appreciate it. And thanks for joining us on the podcast. All right. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Jason. We enjoy doing it. 
Planning is a big part of the natural gas industry, and in turn, a big part of our next guest world. Justin Powers is Director of Gas Supply at Spire, working out of St. Louis. Justin, thank you for joining us. Jason, thanks for having me. So just to start off, tell us a little about yourself. How long have you been with Spire? I have been with Spire now about 15 years. I actually uh, started my career off in the financial reporting department, uh, doing accounting work. And I know early on in my career, uh, there was a position that came available. Actually, at the time, it was with the Cleve Energy Resources, which is now Aspire Marketing on the unregulated um, uh, you know, uh, trading side. And I would say it was it was probably about five years ago I actually made the transition from the marketing side over to the utility side and, and accepted the role I'm in now, which is director of gas supply. So given your background, you know more than most about how gas in the ground makes its way to a home or business. And so I'm sure you get asked this sometimes, but Justin, where does gas come from? The search for natural gas begins with geologists to, you know, they study the structure of the earth. Uh, they locate the types of geologic formations that are likely to contain natural gas deposits. Uh, these geologists, uh, they often use seismic surveys on land and the ocean to find the right places to drill natural gas and oil wells. Uh, kind of, you know, if the geology kind of shows well um, and they have enough natural gas to produce to make a profit, uh, they basically put in these production wells. Um, and these natural gas wells could be drilled, you know, vertically and more recently kind of horizontally into natural gas bearing formations. At the top of this well, uh, on the surface, natural gas is then put into gathering pipelines and sent to natural gas processing plants. And then from that point on, it's kind of where we take transfer and ownership of the gas and title. Um, so then my group kind of plans from these processing, the tailgate of these processing plants, you know, we take out um, kind of a portfolio mix um, and try to land sort of the, the most economical, uh, diverse portfolio in order to meet uh, the different utility needs, uh, the different jurisdictions. So describe like a portfolio. Is that storage? Is that um, is that the stuff that's coming in fresh from different areas? Yeah, it's so when I say a portfolio, what I mean is it's, it's kind of a, it's a portfolio or uh, a mix of assets, which includes, you know, pipeline transportation contracts to kind of move gas from these processing plants um, to, to different interconnects or take points into our systems. It's also a portfolio uh, that includes storage. So in all that, what, um, what role does storage play? You know, this process of the gas being extracted from the wells and traveling through an interstate pipeline, how, how significant is the storage of gas? Storage is extremely, extremely important. You know, it's an integral component of the nation's energy system. I mean, our nation's significant storage capacity enables utilities like us to offer clean natural gas to consumers throughout, throughout the year um, with reliable uh, service and prices. It's really the only way you kind of meet supply and demand, right? In the summertime, you know, your demand kind of, uh, it kind of moves up and down, but generally you've got excess supply and you're, you're looking to sit there and put it in the ground and store it and then basically pull that out in the wintertime. And generally, you've got much more favorable prices. So you're generally injecting when prices are low and you're extracting and pulling gas from your storage contracts in the wintertime when volatility sets in and prices get high. All right. So to, to keep uh, prices in our favor and in our customers' favor, how important is planning in all of this? Planning is where it all begins. I mean, we, we do so much planning. You know, take a big bucket approach and we kind of look at the overall needs, um, you know, in the different areas. 
but then we get extremely granular and we, we start looking at different line segments um, off of pipelines, trying to identify, you know, as we have growth and, you know, we keep expanding our distribution systems. I mean, all that growth kind of backs up to a, what I would say is a border station, right? A take point into our distribution systems. We're constantly monitoring to make sure that we've got adequate supply into these different border stations in order to meet our prospective growth and customers. Okay. So there's the, the long-term planning and then short-term things can happen. So um, February was a significant time in our, our industry. And so I will say February 15th, that's what we've kind of talked about it. Uh, you know, it Spire's our peak day as far as that was where Spire Missouri was, um, our service was at its peak as far as uh, gas demand went. But the week prior to that, it was like the Tuesday before, that was where I heard your name. And it was, hey, Justin is working on this because it looks like there are some issues coming up with supply and demand. And so this was you know, six days prior to this major event um, and, and headlines that were a week away um, nationally from about, about natural gas supply and demand. And here you are, well ahead of time, already doing work. Um, what what exactly happened there to make that so crazy that uh, it's something we're still talking about months later? Yeah, no, I mean it was it was kind of the perfect storm that set in and caught everybody a little off guard, and it wasn't necessarily. And I use the term throughput. We do all of this regression planning to make sure that that we basically have got you know contracts or adequate space on these pipelines to get gas to where it needs to be on these peak days. Right? This wasn't necessarily a throughput issue. It wasn't like we ran out of space in order to move these molecules um, into our distribution system. The issue we had was was just procuring the molecules themselves. Again, it was the perfect storm. Um, and, and, and the best way to put it, I think, is just to sit there. It just showed how circular the grid is. When I say that, I mean how, how circular sort of the need um, that gas has uh, on electric and in the same way, I mean, the, the need that basically electric has on gas. And, you know, I know there was, there was extreme weather that kind of set in on Oklahoma and Texas, and that's what kind of set this off. Um, and there was freeze-offs in some of the production areas um, out in that area. But a lot of this, you know, coming to find out, a lot of this was actually due to the electric and ERCOT struggling so bad. I know the Permian Basin, which is, I mean, one of the most prolific basins we have here in the country, I mean, that, that basin was, was, you know, experiencing not only rolling blackouts, but just loss of power uh, for extended periods of time. And the producers out there, you know, they were struggling because of the need for gas to basically maintain, uh, I would say, um, kind of their system control, their operations. I mean, even the pumps out there in the field. So as soon as they started losing production, well, then in turn, you had power, power plants that were, you know, relying on natural gas. All of a sudden now they were unable to run. So it was kind of a perfect circular storm to where as soon as the electric started failing, gas started failing, electric started failing, right? You kind of keep seeing the circular nature as to kind of what took place. So it wasn't necessarily a throughput problem. It was just the fact that that, that Midcon area and that Texas and Oklahoma production was struggling so bad because of the, you know, the power failures um, that took place out there. And also, you know, due to freeze-offs. So just lack of supply. And so while those, you know, the issues that got a lot of the headlines were in Texas, yep. you know, obviously we're in Missouri, Alabama, Mississippi. There were 
that impacts us because a lot of the gas that we get comes from Oklahoma, uh, correct? So yeah. kind of talk about that and where, you know, ge geographically where that gas is coming from. Yeah. So, so I talked earlier kind of and tried to explain, you know, our portfolio, right? Our asset mix um, that we kind of plan around the, in order to meet sort of our, our peak day, our design day. Um, we, we've got, especially on the western side of Missouri, we've got a pretty pretty heavy reliance on the Midcon area. And a lot of that Midcon, when I say Midcon area, it's really a lot of that Oklahoma and Texas production that we basically um, you know, push into the contracts that we hold and then move gas from Oklahoma over to Kansas City. So when we, you know, we kind of seen this, this forecast out there. Um, you know, we did some things ahead of time just because we, we thought we could potentially see issues. We had no idea at the time. I mean, I, I still think back. I mean, I had, had no idea at the time that things could get to where they, they, they ended up, you know, heading. I mean, this was, this was five or seven days before, um, you know, that weekend period. It was that four-day weekend period. So what we did is we actually uh, immediately we went out there and we locked up some supply coming from the northwest, kind of the Rockies basins. We, we locked up a big piece of supply for for the next 10 days, I believe, just because we thought that that might be a little more resilient um, than some of the Oklahoma or Texas stuff. Uh, we also we also made some contract changes, you know, before other shippers did. We actually requested some some amendments on our contracts to access some of that Rockies gas as well. You know, we also we also made sure, like we always do, that we had our you know our storage positions are in great shape. So we had the ability to sit there and lean on storage throughout this period too. So those were some long nights, uh, those four days you're talking about. But when the snow melted away, um, Spire came out of it pretty well, correct? We did. I mean, compared to, I know, you know, there's been there's been a lot of headlines out there about um, sort of the dollars spent, um, you know, to kind of weather the storm by other utilities. And I know in comparison, um, looking at some of the other utilities, especially on, for example, on the Southern Star system, I mean, we, we definitely came out. Uh, quite a bit more favorably, you know. We did some we did some things like I talked about earlier to kind of mitigate some of that, especially on the west side uh, with some of the contract changes, um, leaning on storage, you know, making sure our storage position uh, was in favorable shape. We even were able to sit there throughout this extreme period and um, you know optimize uh, some of our assets and even optimize kind of our storage position to sit there and offset some of the costs that we incurred. So when we're talking about the system that brings gas, um, you know, one thing that's uh, pretty important to the Spire system is the Spire SDL pipeline, right? Yeah, I know we, you know, we talked earlier um, just about kind of the sleepless nights. And I remember the sleepless nights that I had throughout this entire period. And I'd have to say all of my sleepless nights were kind of due to the western side of Missouri. It was really had to do with Spire Missouri West because of our heavy, heavy reliance on, you know, the Midcon um, region and the Texas, you know, producing region. But I'd have to say that, honestly, you know, due to Spire STL, uh, which is the pipeline that we kind of um, anchored a few years ago, because of our reliance, or I guess should say our, uh, the diversity that we've, we've added into the portfolio in order to serve the St. Louis market, uh, which now allows us to kind of access the Northeast um, producing regions, Marcellus and Utica, I mean, they experienced zero disruptions throughout this period. I mean, I've looked at maps and I've seen to where, you know, some of the Texas um, producing regions or basins were off almost two thirds of their total production that they've seen, you know, just a few days earlier. 
the Marcellus and Utica basins experienced zero disruptions at all, which means we had an abundance amount, you know, abundance of supply coming from the Marcellus Utica area, you know, through Rex, through the new Spire STL interconnect into St. Louis. And I have to say, I mean, St. St. Louis was an Spire STL. Honestly, Spire STL was just an absolute rock star. And, uh, you know, definitely had had me feeling much better and, and, and allowed me to sort of concentrate all of my efforts for the western side of the state. All right, so all this work we're talking about at the end of the day, how does this help our customers? I think that I think that this just shows, you know, the, the planning that we do, it just shows that we, you know, we expect to show up on these peak days. Right. I mean, I know. When people think about when think people think about gas, they just don't expect their gas to not show up on any specific day. I mean, we are just so reliable, and I think our customers just have just come to expect that we're going to show up for them, show up for them even on the worst of days. It goes back to what we always talk about with affordable, reliable energy. Uh, the natural gas is, you know, um, during a time like that, we were there for our customers. We we didn't lose, and it, you know, uh, we were talking before we started recording this about electricity, and you know, uh, you know, when your electric goes out, we all have those stories. Geez, when's it going to come back? Everybody on? has been there before. Yeah, we yeah. Was, yeah, we were just talking earlier. You know, who who here has actually had their natural gas not show show up for them on a given day? And I honestly can't remember a day where my gas hasn't showed up. I can remember plenty of days to where my electric, you know, has been out for a few hours, a few days, depending on, um, you know, what's taking place. So, yeah, I think I think it's just it's become customary for people to expect their natural gas to show up. Well, a big part of that is the work you do. Thank you, Jason. So thank you for being here, Justin. I appreciate it and sharing uh, what goes on with gas supply. Thanks, Jason. Until next time, stay safe and be sure to tune in to the next episode of the Beyond the Boots podcast.